This episode of The Ship Show is sponsored by PagerDuty. PagerDuty decreases alerting noise for operations and developers and ensures the right engineers are alerted at the right time. PagerDuty helps you identify common problems, allowing you to make system improvements proactively so you don't have to be woken up at 2 a.m., something nobody likes. Ship Show listeners can sign up for a free 14-day trial at www.pagerduty.com slash theshipshow. It's time again for Bill Engineering Demos, Release Management, and Everything in Between. It's the Ship Show. I'm Paul Reed, your host, Silver Build, and on Twitter and SilverBuildEngineer.com, where I haven't written anything for a long time. Who's with me tonight? This is Pete Cheslock at Pete Cheslock on Twitter. Looks like it's just the two of us tonight. Yeah, you know, it's just, it's, the, it's, just you know. the two of us. Yeah, we just we can we can do our own wonderful technology rants then and and, and I know technology only rants yeah actually it's funny it doesn't happen very often but there was one other episode recently that it was like Yusuf and I or EJ and I or something like that it was and it was really funny it was it was it was just just the two of us chatting (laughs) Uh, how you doing Pete are you getting any sleep yeah I am I am uh, definitely tired and uh, if if my wife goes to bed soon who's holding on to Noah then and she wants some help putting him down then I will probably have to pull out of this thing pretty quick so <laughs> we'll see how things go yeah, if you're if you're just like not here anymore sorry yeah we'll <laughs> things know what happened get awkward in that case <laughs> yeah 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 well for episode 51 we have five years of DevOps days and DevOps we have a panel from live from Belgium talking about DevOps days DevOps last five years what the future holds stuff like that, which we will get to momentarily, but of course, news and views first up. So if you listen to this podcast looking for like security vulnerabilities, that's bad. Don't do that. Um, but we do, because uh, it's not always timely, but we do like to discuss them. Uh, and a couple weeks ago, actually, right after our last episode shipped, Poodle, Poodle vulnerability, uh, SSL version three, basically declared totally and utterly broken. Pete, I'm pretty sure you heard about this because uh, this is totally in your space. Yeah, I mean, even... I- I have to say the best time for a, uh, a terrible security vulnerability to come out is when you go out on paternity leave and you know <laughs> you disappear for two weeks. So um, luckily, uh, you know, my team definitely took care of it pretty well. But I was following on the Twitters when I had the time seeing, you know, everyone else responding to it. And I think the, the biggest joke of it was that we were still supporting, like anyone was still supporting SSL version 3. Yeah. Um, I did hear a rumor from someone, and I, like, I don't know if I saw this online or somewhere, but it was it was basically like there was uh, this like email communication that this engineer was having with their developers talking about how I can't believe SSL three is still in use and it's fifteen years old and we should have gotten rid of it forever ago and how come we're not on you know TLS one point two and something about how the developer thought that the TLS one point two was older and so yes SSL3 less than is bigger therefore we should be using it and so like they had done some codes specifically for it, I guess for some reason yep but you know yeah, yeah. well and then thing, I guess now, yeah yeah and then I saw something too uh, and I think I tweeted about this that well, actually yeah I did tweet about the fact that if you build open SSL at build time without SSL v3 it will still accept and do a handshake and start an SSL3 conversation and you're like but I compiled you without it's just like really it was another one of those Oh, really open SSL things? <laughs> yeah, it was it was bad. Um, well, actually, uh, this is not directly related to this, but a gentleman named Andy Wingo wrote a post called FFS SSL. You can figure out what FFS means. I will link it to it. Um, it's it's a hilarious post about he just tried to set up TLS on his website and the problems that caused. Uh, it's a very humorous read and goes through the pain of this process. So yeah, we'll link a, to that. It's a it's a great post. I highly recommend. 
through my, my last week was basically going through and, you know, kind of cleaning up some, some of our, you know, internal SSL usage and, you know, update a few things. And I will say a big shout out to SSL Labs. They have, Qualsys has a SSL test that you can, you know, pass in your site to if you want to see how, how you're looking at it. And they usually have checks for a lot of the newer stuff. But um, nice. my biggest gripe, and this actually, he, he nailed it on here, was basically trying to get a, a SHA-2 certificate. So the, there's, uh, you know, SHA-1 certificates, which people believe that you could pretty much get like a hash collision for a couple million dollars of computing power. Uh, and then over the few years, it'll get easier and easier. But to actually purchase a SHA, like SHA-256 cert, the, the process of going through is basically this convoluted, like get the cert, then rekey the cert, then go to some random like CGI bin website and like re-request it again. And it's just... Right. <laughs> Like, oh, please. <laughs> right, right, right. You know, it's funny. Like, a lot of the complaints on that blog that he talks about, like, I just went and loaded Google.com, and uh, I popped up the little, and this is in Firefox, the little thing, and it's like, you're connected to Google.com, which is run by unknown, verified by Google Inc. And, <laughs> and so it's funny. Like, all of these things he complains about to get the nice green, actually, you're fully ssl you know, experience is really, really hard, and apparently even Google does not get that right. I was actually drilling down to the view their certificate, and guess what? It's also SHA-1. And I know that they, I think, rekey their certs every six months or something like this. But uh, it's one of those things where it's like if you were trying to do the right thing, even the big guys kind of don't aren't consistently getting it right. And Google's a weird case because they they can pin their own certs in Chrome, like literally their own certs. So you know they can solve a lot of problems sort of that way. Right. Um, the other part you always have to think of too is basically like who are you locking out by making those changes. So yep. you know, there's a lot of people still on IE6, and that's a sad thing. So yep, yep. And he talks about too. Uh, once you, I guess there's a header that tells the web browser never to make a call to HTTP if you have HTTPS enabled. But if you send that header and and you do something wrong, like certain web browsers will just stop working. <laughs> so yeah. Do you even? How do we even internet? <laughs> it's really amazing. <laughs> yeah. um, actually, in that same vein, with security vulnerabilities, a couple of tools prompted by the Bash bug uh, have had problems. Uh, one was wget, and one was tn ftp client, which is an ftp client. But yeah, no, it's it, it's uh, it's interesting now that people are you know we've run into the oh my god Bash bug. People are starting to look at uh, these other tools that uh, have remote execution vulnerabilities just because you know we use them and nobody has ever bothered to really look at them. You know, it's um, now that we found the bash bug, people maybe will find a bug in curl. So that whole pipeline of curl bashing will be screwed <laughs> uh, up. I know. It's a good thing that we don't install software via that, you know. Uh, yeah, yeah nobody does that. I don't know anybody that does that. Uh, yeah. I will say that it's like every like every site, and like pot call the kettle black. Like if you go to like our website, we allow people to curl bash the package because it's honestly like it's fast and easy to do it. We want things to be fast and easy. So yep. you know, but yep. uh, yeah, it's it's amazing how just uh, a 30, 40 year old piece of technology sometimes is the is the thing that takes us all down. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, yes. Takes us all down. Yep, yep. 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 Next up, speaking actually of installing software, Windows 10 is finally getting a package manager from the command line. This is pretty interesting. Uh, we've talked about Chocolate E before, which is sort of a package management utility for Windows, but uh, this is one. Uh, I guess they're calling it One Git. It's PowerShell related package manager, and it basically works like apt git and yum. We'll link to the the story about this, but uh, pretty interesting to see them sort of getting on board uh, with installing packages this way. Yeah, I'm loving... Um, I mean, I, I did Windows stuff for, for years and years, probably up until maybe about, I don't know, 2006 or 2008, but it was um, you know, it was very painful in those times just to... It was like SCCM, you know, the installing these packages and creating these convoluted configurations and, you know, Active Directory policies to get packages mm -hmm. out. When PowerShell kind of came out when I was kind of on my way out and, and been watching it kind of passively, seeing more and more advanced things you can do, and nowadays I even see a lot... I mean, granted, I kind of role with the chef community a bit, but I, I see a lot of like the DS the desired state configuration, I think uh -huh. it's called DSC and, and chef integration with PowerShell. So it's great that they're getting this. I mean, this is for administrators who have to manage any number of Windows machines, which, you know, there's a lot of those out there. Um, yeah. You know, this, this would be awesome. Like, if I, if I was doing Windows again, I'd be all over this. Yeah, and what's interesting to me is it's not like they haven't had package management utilities ever. Like, I mean, MSIs have been around for, I mean, at least, I think, five years, maybe even more. And that was the way, you know, you would, with, with you know, Active Directory or Active Domain policies, you could sort of roll out deployments of packages with via MSIs with that functionality. But it 
apparently, I mean, it's not the same as sort of functionality here where you can basically install a package and it will go get dependencies and things like that. So it'll be interesting to see whether this is a little handicapped from the beginning from the standpoint of, like, all of those dependent packages don't exist, you know? So, so I mean, it'll be sort of bootstrapping that or if they'll be able to sort of solve that quickly and make it really useful for doing stuff like that. And then, of course, will there be FPM support? That's what we all want to know, right? Oh, Jordan is probably already uh, planning on it or, you know, <laughs> he'll, he'll quickly add it when someone does a pull request, I'm sure. <laughs> I was going to say, knowing Jordan, he's probably already implemented it. <laughs> Last up tonight, we have source code from the Xerox, Alto, and CPM operating systems. For those of you who don't remember the Alto, I mean, I, I wasn't really computing when the Alto was around, but uh, if you've ever heard of a computer called the Macintosh, uh, it was, uh, well, actually the Lisa, I guess, it was based on the Alto, um, and it was a, a GUI-based computer from back in the, the 80s. 70s, yeah, early yeah, 70s. Like, uh, mid, mid, late 70s, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway, though, uh, they've released the source code for that. Pretty interesting. You can peruse it. Uh, we'll put a link to that, of course, in the show notes. And then CPM, uh, which is actually the precursor to uh, MS-DOS, they released the source code to that as well. I can remember my... my uh, Father was an author, so he used to write all of his books back in the day. Uh, even then, that was what the late '80s, uh, well, actually early '90s. He was still using a K Pro with CPM to write his books. Wow! Uh, with a line printer, he you know would print out the books, and all night you would hear this. <laughs> always <laughs> you know, getting these books uh, published. Anyway, though, uh, yeah, we'll link. Uh, they have the source code for both of those. Yeah, I love seeing stuff like this come out. And someday, I mean, I've been out in the Computer History Museum, right? Is in somewhere in like Palo Alto or something, right? It's Mountain View, yeah. Mountain View, yeah. So like, I've, I've been out there a bunch of times, and I've just never had the time to stop over there. Everyone just tells me how awesome it is to go. So I definitely want to get over there at some point. But yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, so here's my mini bit about the Computer History Museum. It actually used to not be as good as it is, and the reason for that is they used to have everything in this big open space. They called it their visible storage room, which is basically kind of looked like a big garage that had like a path cut out through it. And the reason it wasn't great as good as it is now is because it was hit or miss. Like you would go through it and would start with like abacuses and then go all the way to like craze and supercomputers and gaming, you know, uh, Nintendos and things like that. If you got a docent and you went through it and you went on a a lead tour, it was great because it was actually these... You know, older guys uh, in their 50s or 60s that, like, worked at HP and IBM on the stuff that they were walking you through. Wow. And they would have all these great stories. It was great. But the downside is if you just walked through it, you would miss most of the cool stuff because it wasn't really a museum in that sense of the word. Here's the thing, though. In the last maybe three or four years, they totally revamped it. They totally changed that. It's now got exhibits that you'd expect with like stuff you can read and, and proper displays and things like that. Um, and so now you can just kind of wander through at your own leisure, and it's great. I highly recommend it if you're in the area. Like, skip Fisherman's Wharf. That place sucks. Take your kids and go down to the Computer History Museum. Um, <laughs> it's, that's actually right off a of one-on-one in Mountain View. It's like literally you can see the highway from the Computer History Museum. So if you ever have a chance to go, it is a trek. If you're in SF, it's a little bit of a trek. Not too bad, you know, maybe a 30-minute drive, but go down there. It's totally worth it, especially if you have kids that are into tech. And even if you don't, they've got a really big gaming section. So, like, you can show kids, you know, the Nintendo, the original 16-bit Nintendo we all grew up playing uh, or what have you. So definitely go take them and do that if you haven't haven't been down there. Uh, next up, five years of DevOps days uh, and DevOps. Welcome back to Chip Show. So we are reporting, recording, reporting live from Ghent, Belgium at the fifth anniversary of DevOps Days. And here with me is a, as I always say, distinguished panel, but this one is particularly distinguished panel to uh, discuss that. So who's here with me? Uh, this is Dave Mango. I'm Patrick Dubois. Steve Pereira. Chris Beltart. Gareth Rushkov. And John Willis. Welcome to the Chip Show all. Thank and you. Some of our returning champions. So I wanted to ask, there was a statistic at the beginning, uh, the opening ceremonies, if you will, uh, talking about five years ago it was 60 people, and now it's 400 people. What, what, is, what is that like for you, Patrick, uh, having sort of birthed this community and, and nurtured it uh, to see that? It's many more worries. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think it's great. It caught on, and um, 
You know, the, the fact that we just had Berlin, who sold out as well, like two days before, another 350 people. Uh, the, the fact they were just happening, and that's the amazing part. Uh, yeah. what, what, what the number is, uh, I keep telling the people who do a new event, it doesn't really matter whether it's like 60 or 400 people. It's, you know, the networking and the dialogues. And so that number is pretty irrelevant. Yeah, one thing I thought was very interesting at, at the beginning, they asked, uh, I think you, Chris, asked, like, uh, how many people is, it, is their first DevOps days here? And it was still like half the audience. Uh, so that was amazing. You have a bunch of people coming back, uh, you know, celebrating the five year sort of anniversary of DevOps days, but then also all of these new people sort of experiencing it for the first time. Yeah, that's what we see at a lot of events. We also have a healthy mix between people who have been done to have been going to DevOps days before and then people who show up new. So that's how the community grows because those people go back home and they say, hey, we want to do the same thing. We start a user group and then after a year of running a user group, they decide we need to have a local DevOps days. That's how these things it's grow. Really, it's really local, like going to a few different ones in different places. Like like the vast majority of them are, it's like 80, 90% of people who would who live there, which is, that's why there's just more and more of them. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, the Silicon Valley one, it was, I, uh, we did the, the kind of informal survey and it, it, it had to be more than 60% were first timers, which was really odd in Silicon Valley. And one other thing I want to point out, I mean, the growth has been amazing, but it's the, it's the whole ecosystem that's insane. Because even the first, I mean, we had 300 at the first DevOps days, Silicon Valley, mm -hmm. 2010. So, but, but I think it's the bigger picture of how many people are aware of this, other yeah. than the numbers that come. Because we stabilize it like 300. Yeah. Right, right. Well, there's, I mean, obviously, there's always sort of venue concerns right. in yeah. terms of like finding a space. Yeah. By the way, I've heard multiple kinds of spaces like amazing. amazing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we were, you know. But um, I, I think it was a deliberate choice a couple of years ago, instead of creating bigger events, to have more events right. locally. Is that like a Dunbar? Isn't it like about 150 people by a factor or something? Right? You think I apply science to my stuff? Well, it's called hotel conferences, and yeah. we got destroyed in Silicon Valley two years ago because we tried to go. It was kind of funny, you know, in a little bit of the history, since we're talking history, there was that first Austin one that sold out like, like within like a day, right? It was, uh, I think it was 2012. I think it was Silicon Valley no, was, in five hours. Was it the that first was one? The first one? I, I actually yeah. I was doing a talk with John Alspo in, in Amsterdam with, at Schubert Phillips, and we were giving a talk there. And I was jokingly, so I think Silicon Valley is going to start selling in a couple of hours. And about three and a half hours later, when John had finished his talk, they were sold out. But the, the first one, though, I think was Austin sold out like in a yeah, week, that, right? Yeah, that's and that, right. That was a pay. That, that's, yeah. No, that was before they did the pay, I think. Yeah, and yeah. then when we did Silicon Valley, it was like a couple of hours. And then and the, the assumption was, oh my God, this thing's going to grow. This could grow to 1,000, 2,000. And so then um, we had started planning in Silicon Valley. You're like, okay, let's try to see if we can get this up to six, seven, eight hundred. And then Austin did the first pay. And all of a sudden, they weren't selling out for like the first two months. Right. And now all of a sudden, those like crazy numbers, you know, and once we started charging, it actually started kind of seeping to about four or five hundred. But, but that's one of those that you, 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 want, you want commitment, right? Because if it's free, everybody says that they'll show up. Well, that was the whole point. Right? The, the, the problem that was happening with the Silicon Valley one, people were already setting up like scheduled cron jobs for the date they thought, so they could just buy 10, or, you know, yeah. you know so people were just <laughs> slamming, you know, right. bots developed to get wow. vendors. Yeah, people would tell That's me, like, we had cool. a bot, like, yeah. we, we were ready, we weren't going to miss it this time. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> Well, you know, that's one thing I think, and we obviously have organizers from, from various events around the world. I know, Steve, you helped out with Toronto, and then obviously Chris and Patrick for Belgium, and, and uh, John for Silicon Valley. The thing I constantly hear is for value for the money, quote unquote, right? It's mm -hmm. still the best. Uh, in fact, somebody said here, it's oh, like you it's have amazing. 400, 400 consultants free for a day. Yeah. Know? Well, especially even if you look at the numbers of what you get, like for food and beer. <laughs> <laughs> it's like you can you could basically take the money for the ticket and you wouldn't get you wouldn't get that anywhere. Yeah, yeah. But that's only for Ghent. <laughs> <laughs> I do have to say this. I don't know what it is about London, but the food I think is the like one of the best oh, DevOps insane. days. Food. And, but I have to say uh, I haven't been to any of the other European ones. 
means, I don't know if they, yes. you know, there's going to be a maybe there's, this, there. there's maybe, maybe there's like, an intercontinental yes, thing. They're like one up at each other. <laughs> I, I believe this is the bar. I mean, I've never, yeah. this is the best, so I told you this yesterday, Dr. Uh, you know, I've been to a lot of these, and I've never had the service, the, the, the beer was just top quality beer, but the food has been just absolutely The food in Italy was good too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The food in not Rome. Not as good as here. Though. No, not as good as here, but that was Don't good forget, too. It's, so there is the entrance fee, but the response from sponsors has been so enormous. Mm-hmm. And that's how, how we can do things. Like, mm-hmm. Sure, with the entrance fee, you can do basic stuff, but you know, the, the, when you grow the venue, it's much more costly, and you have to do advanced payments and all the hassle of that. But it's, it's really, when the sponsors kick in, you can do the extras. A shuttle service, right. massage, right. like food, a party, mm-hmm. and then it just keeps going. And so, but I, so I want to talk a little bit about that because I think I, you and the organizing your organizers um, have done an amazing job of making sure you know there. I, I can think of a DevOps conference, and they called it a DevOps conference, and it really was just just vendors, and, and it was a lot of just mm-hmm. sort of here's the talk, and it's a, it's literally a marketing deck. DevOps days, I've not been to one or heard of one where that was like a big problem. How have you walked that very fine line uh, between getting the sponsors involved but not letting it? So I, oh, you should be obvious, but I do want to answer on behalf of Patrick and There's this kind of hierarchy of like everybody tries to take as much off of Patrick's plate until they get to the holy how do I do this? And then you go to Patrick. And so we've been doing this for many years and there's always my I uh, give up, everybody. I'm going to call Patrick. And, and, <laughs> and, and Patrick sets that kind of conscious of us so that, you know, it, it really all goes back to the way you think. And, and, and so, I mean, we all kind of feel your DNA of the way we think. I, who said it? I always think, uh, Jeff said, I always wonder in DevOps, what would Patrick think? Mm-hmm. And I think mm-hmm. my personal experience of the ones I've organized, it's always been a, what, it, for me, and I think the people who take it serious, we always say, what would Patrick think here? And if I think, I think I know what he's going to do. I do it if I don't, I call him. Yeah. <laughs> no, I, I just want to give a, a call out to Dave Nielsen, who did the cloud cams. And we had uh, some conversation about it. And he, he made me realize that if you raise the sponsor money quite high, uh, there's a lot of demand you're going to get. You have to give value back. But if you raise it, let's say, instead of what we do, 3000 which personally it's still a lot of money, but you know, in general, it's okay for sponsoring. If you raise that to 5000 or 10000 they're gonna put a manager on you because right. there's a return on investment. Right. And then you're on in phone calls all day. So he warned me about that. I was like, yeah. thank you, Dave, because otherwise I'll be spending all the time doing this. Right. And now I-, I So it was really I, to preserve your own <laughs> Yeah, yeah. But in that way, can you say, well, if 3000 and the other one is 3000 and there's not like a big sponsor who gets all the credit, you can overplay all the rest. Right. So we go for the many sponsors. It's a bit more scary, but you know, if one drops out, that's okay. So it's that's how job, you right? kind of play it out. So yeah, it's not a turn out well, but. I think as well, a lot of the companies that have like consistently sponsored have people who are just part of the community nearly first. Like yeah. I'm working at Mobile Labs, I'm a vendor. Like, on the other hand, I was Are you? Like, <laughs> I, think I, I sell software. Are you the same guy from last year? <laughs> Well, I wanted to ask about that because I had never thought about it consciously this way, but somebody said you made a, a conscious decision at the beginning to make it distributed, much in the way, you know, like Git made, you know, not a central repository, but sort of distributed and peer-to-peer and all that kind of stuff. Was that, did you consciously make that decision back when you were starting this, or was it just easier? Again, was it sort of a... When I started it, I didn't even know it was a thing. <laughs> John asked me, like, oh, can we do another one? So, and then we went to Hamburg, <laughs> and then we went to Göteborg, and then but we went to Rome. It was consciously like, because I've seen, like, uh, I've been involved with Agile conferences, ITIL, other events, and I see how they turn into the pile of money when you're in the eye of the storm and it tracks a lot of flies. Right. And, and I didn't want to go for that model because, you know, People are being nice to you, and then you know, you know how it is. Right. Uh, and it's, I believe, more like let's do the distributed one. Sure, there's not like one company who owns the money and so on, but you know, we ask the local communities to travel, spending on local communities. So I think that's the best way. And again, for pre- self preservation, that means that not everything has to run through me. So 
that's again in my personal <laughs> time. So uh, I'm curious, I mean, that sort of brings up, you were saying, we, I didn't know it was a thing five years ago or going to be a thing. So it's kind of like, the listeners might think, and I'm thinking this, it's like, it seems like this whole DevOps thing was a massive experiment and it just it happened to Why work. Why do you say was? <laughs> well, no, it, I mean, sorry, it started, yeah, right? Yeah. It, it did right. start as sort of a massive yeah. experiment. And it's funny, right? Looking back, it's one of those things where it's like, well, it's obvious now, but it's, it's hindsight bias, really, right? And so I was wondering if we could talk a little bit about that. I mean, did you consider it an experiment in a lot of these things that, that we now, it's just, oh, that's the way you run an event or that's the way you run the community, which seems obvious now. Is that just sort of uh, more trial, tr trials and tribulations and, and... Yeah, I think we experimented like with different formats and see what worked and got feedback. And because we're doing multiple, we can say, well, you know, New York recently mm -hmm. had one without sponsors. Right. And, and it, well, it was they, all open spaces. spaces. They did, they did, spaces, one, they did yeah. one day as well, didn't they? Yeah, Just one day. So, yeah. And everyone was like, you can't do that? And he was like, why so, not? Yeah. yeah. But then there's, there's the good thing of experimentation, but then there is some structure in place because all the exceptions that you do create in, uh, demand energy. Right. So I'm trying to get the same line of sponsor levels, kind of the same thing. So <clears throat> if you're a returning sponsor, that helps because that's a little bit of a struggle with, you know, we're going to do great, we want to do this. Yes, so let's balance. We kind of learned this, and what do you think? So it's. Uh, well, it was talking about, I mean, even in organizations and software development, it's uh, if you assume that people uh, you know, have good intentions, whatever, and then you set sort of the boundaries in the direction and then let it go. Yeah, is, is that, I mean, is that an accurate? I think that's spot on. I think, yeah. again, you know, it's, it's funny, I'll just kind of draft off of Opsco for a minute just uh, because I mean there, there's this kind of no and you can't be an at Opsco at least when I was there and I think hopefully till now but um, <laughs> but it was because Adam you know you just you couldn't be an Adam and, and you can't be an asshole in DevOps days because of Patrick I mean you just you can't I, I mean just there's no way around it and and like to my statement earlier I mean you just it, it just doesn't make sense right right and, and so I think there was these guardrails that we all looked at what Patrick Set and he, you know, we know it wasn't like pressure, yeah, pressure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, but I mean, the things that were that were borderline, like I'd say, Patrick, we got the situation, and we're, you know, yeah, that's a tough one. You know, if we do it that way, it's going to look bad this way, and you know, and, and anyway, so I think you, you're, you're spot on. There were some boundaries set up, and, and this thing kind of happened on its own, and yeah, and it also lowers the barrier to entry for other for people for to sure. organize events because you don't need to know what you're doing, you, you just need to do it. Yeah, like I, I can talk about that. Exactly, I can speak to that as a newbie organizer. Like I've never run anything but a meetup before DevOps days, and then you've got this structure that you 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 know literally fork, and you've got all the yeah on GitHub, which is fantastic. You know, it's a it's a great way to sort of have a standard that you start from, and you can always tweak things, but it's. Kind of my favorite form of standardization. It's like you just make it so easy to follow that it becomes uniform. Because sense. yeah, you, it just you, you, it doesn't make it. Common sense, yeah. right? So you just make it. But it, it it didn't make any sense to depart from any of the the structure that was set up because it really just helps you get started. And you like the code of conduct, right? Like yeah, you know, when we did the last sure. one. I in fact for the one I just ran the network and I just. Took the code of conduct. I think Andrew wrote it. I'm, I'm not sure I just shared it. Yeah. But uh, it, you know, it's there now. It's like there's no yeah. committee. You just now you plop that in, and if you want to tweak it a little bit for your event. Yeah, I mean, you could always send a pull request yeah. back to yeah. the main, right? So that's actually a really good kind of transition. I mean, so DevOps days, five years, amazing events for those five years. But so now, sort of DevOps and looking back at, and I'm curious, do you think, you know, this is kind of a Conway's Law sort of thing, that communication pattern has influenced quote unquote DevOps and the way that we conceive of it from a sort of tools culture like practice? Do you think that the sort of distributed nature uh, is reflected in how, I mean, because there's resistance for, uh, you know, you see people wanting to write like the DevOps book or the mm. certification kit or whatever, right? And there's a huge resistance to that. Do you think that's, uh, an example of Conway's law, sort of. I, I think the resistance is wrong. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, and not that I'm pro and con, but like I, I told you in a previous podcast that I want to have more controversy ideas because that's the only way you can get a new dialogue about things. Sometimes somebody said like it always feels like a, the fan club coming to a DevOps case. <laughs> they're like mm -hmm. the ones that are converted. You know, they're coming back and it's all fun and then. 
were somewhere outside. So, but uh, I think that, that Twitter has been really helpful in spreading the distribution, uh, became a lot easier to f connect to each other. The events are more, in the beginning, were more like Twitter meetups, uh, mm. finding local people connected. It's uh, been really yeah. international from the start. Yeah. Like, like a, way more than other communities I've seen. It's been really international, like literally from the start, mm -hmm. like from day one. Yeah. Like it was in Belgium. And I was like, Where's Belgium? Like, and John's coming <laughs> over to Belgium. <laughs> like, it's just like, excuse me. <laughs> yeah, it's not. I and mean, sometimes, like, people live on You have a code of conduct, Gary. Sometimes, not being in like the US, you can feel excluded from like communities and like. Yeah. Mm. That isn't even remotely like that. Yeah, you can sort of count on it coming to your hometown eventually, right? It's you can reach out to someone, even if it's not your thing, to organize. You could sort of be a catalyst. <laughs> See, Patrick, yeah. think we're going to do that upstairs. No, 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 no. I'm going to tell you what we did in the beginning, especially in Europe. In, 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 in San Francisco, it was easy. Like, okay, that's mine of you. We, we, we kind of told you we want to have an event. We're having be like, and then I find like. Let's find some random people on Twitter and get them excited. On a I still know how we managed to get to Rome. That was basically yeah, outside and, of and the Gothenburg family. I wanted to be there. Yeah. And uh, Laura, like, everybody's listening. We oh, want to be God. at CERN, NASA, yeah. Disneyland, <laughs> Hawaii. 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 Tim, are you listening, Tim? Tim? <laughs> yeah. I was going to say that one of the things early on, though, I mean, part of this, there was no plan, right? Like, I mean, I got all excited. I was like, oh my God, this is crazy. I grabbed Damon, I got back, you know, and, and um, you know, we had, you know, there was this experimentation, too, like where we, we were kind of doing it at the end of Velocity. And everybody was, we, the, the whole discussion, I don't know if you remember some of those discussions, like, with three days of Velocity and then two more days of this stuff, would people just be like, I give up, I can't take it anymore. And, and I'm like, we were really worried about that, right? And, and I remember sitting in the second day at three o'clock and there's still 280 people in the room and they're, they're just as excited. But one of the things I want to say is that, like early on, I think it was, it worked out well that we were doing a ping pong of US and Europe. Because I don't know, if we would have spread out right away, it, it kind of would have been a disaster. So the first few years, we, it was a big events, like, you know, like you guys would come over and you'd come to the US and a bunch of yeah. core organizers, we'd make sure we went to the, the Europe one. And then as that unraveled, that, that voice got louder and louder, and then it made sense to go distributed. Yeah. Yeah. So. Especially yeah. because uh, in Europe, uh, sponsor money is per country. So in the US, it's yeah. like a large region, mm -hmm. so you can kind of, okay, it kind of fits, but right. like with all the languages, if you sponsor France, you're, like it's a different market than, you know, Belgium or UK. So I'm curious what uh, kind of your biggest surprise was, you know, again, sort of on the development of kind of DevOps as a practice and, and as it was facilitated through these events. Over the past five years, what was panel? Like what was your kind of your biggest surprise in the last five years? That I had to deal with uh, filling in legal firms to get sponsors? <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, even on the actual DevOps side and in the industry as a thing. Um, I mean, because really, these events facilitated that growth. And, and so what was your biggest surprise? For me, it's sort of coming to the realization that this is very much, you know, like DevOps stays itself, that the framework for the conference, the community and, and the, you know, the term and the practices are very much open source at the moment, right? So it's sort of like, do with it what you will and contribute back to the community. And, you know, we're seeing a lot of different aspects of that now where we have you know, people talk about enterprise DevOps, which which may or may not be a fork, right? Which which may contribute something meaningful back to the main. It, it may not be a fork. It may be a branch. It may be, you know, some sort of offshoot uh, or not. Are you looking for a give blame? Is that it? <laughs> yeah, maybe. Maybe. I mean, that's next. That's five years from now, right? Get <laughs> We're actually waiting for the first pull request, but... Yeah. Yeah. I, think, I think the thing I've sort of... I find, uh, like, surprising, and I think Lindsay Holman said this, like, earlier, it was like, he came for the tools, but stayed for the culture. Yeah. And, like, actually just how receptive people are to the culture stuff. Like, that was always there originally. But, like, actually, we're all programming people, and it's very easy for us to fall back into tools. And, and often when people first come to an event, they're like, where's all the tech talks? And it's like... Mm. But do you think that really happened easily? I mean, oh, I remember Silicon Valley that's, that's when John was threatening to take the sea and go home. Right, because there was too many tools yeah, talks yeah. and 
That's um, what I'm really, that's, that's, that's the surprise, is that, yeah. like, that we, we aren't just falling back into like, oh, well, we've done a bunch of stuff now, like, let's talk about it. Well, to be honest, it wasn't a surprise to me because this was something that was going on already in the Agile community mm-hmm. for a long time. Yeah. Uh, it just didn't cover the last mile, but the whole like social and helping and teamwork was there. So, yeah. And but but that, what we've also seen is that there's what I call spin-offs of DevOps days, which are sometimes following a similar pattern, like uh, Monodrama and Config Management Camp, who are really focusing on... Yeah. They're, they're catered for the same audiences, but on different topics. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think what for me has been really amazing is seeing my own experiences going through a couple of DevOps days now, is that I sort of was focused on the, t- the, the tools earlier be- before I was involved in the community. And now that I'm in the community, I know a bunch of people, I show up to a DevOps days and that's what, that's what I'm there for. I'm there to sort of talk to everyone that I haven't seen in a while, see what they're doing and meet new people. And I think that's, that's built off of a foundation of getting the, getting the wheels going, right? So you kind of, you know, you can't really focus on the community aspect from from being outside and just joining it's kind of difficult to dive in but once you're in there like now i don't now i have a whole bunch of people i can ask about tools right and i know who to ask about what tools uh, even so, if you don't just get on twitter and yeah exactly there'll be some network right so i feel i feel now that that my personal emphasis on tools is hugely diminished and i show up to to catch up with all my friends now. I think it's because as technologists, we, you know, we're barely accustomed to tools. Like, oh, just show me the tool, and I'll and I'll know it. And then you show know, me a good people ask you about DevOps, and like, what is it? And then you're explaining it to them, and they don't really get it, and they're like, I don't understand. Why do they call it DevOps? All this stuff, and you know, now I'm at a point where I feel very confident that I have a pretty good idea on what DevOps is. But that, like you said, that comes from being immersed in the community and. You know, this is a, we always talk about it like it's a way of thinking about your problem and like learning a new way of thinking about something isn't something that you just get out of a tool, right? It's mm-hmm. a new way of thinking about something, so. Because uh, one thing I think me and you talked about it and it was something I kind of forgot about tributes, which is I think there's a, a hidden gem here in that Chef and Puppet as early sponsors never came in and tried to own this car. So it, it, like, unlike you, it's kind of set a standard of how at least how behavior. acceptable behavior because they were you know the, you know early days chef it was very important not to walk in and say where the DevOps tool and, and Puppet didn't do that either right and and even when I it took like three years before I started seeing vendors actually start putting their DevOps tool and I got in a fight with one on Twitter and I'm like <laughs> congratulations because Chef and Puppet have been doing this for four years and like you finally were the first one to do it. <laughs> and then people call me, what's it do? Oh. But the importance of that is that again, that's part of our success. So I wasn't the only one that. And not done it is is kind of brilliantly yeah. and again go back to the both leaders were very, you know, they're yeah. passionate about doing this stuff. That's true. Well, so I, this is always a very delicate topic, and and you know there there are to the sponsor point, there are sponsors here that are big big enterprises themselves. They they are helping enterprises. So, uh, but I'm always curious because it's on people's mind. Uh, the whole kind of enterprise fork of DevOps does is that something that concerns you at all? That it'll kind of turn into this weird thing, or is that something like like you think that that we can can help with, or, or like what, what do you, does that keep you up at night? At all? No. Patrick, Patrick, I sleep sound. Yeah. Yeah. But but is that is that is that? So I mean, I kind of like the way that you put it, Steve. That it's like a fork, and we haven't had a pull request yet. But but who knows? Right? People are just scared when you say enterprise. They think you're gonna. It's gonna go back to selling things and consultants. I don't agree. There hasn't been. I don't, been I don't think it's something to be scared about. I I, I, I being when I hate. I've not had the. Fork thing, and I just think that's really weird. Like the what? The, 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 the idea that it's a fork is just weird. But it's like it's, the people who've been using the term are literally just talking about what we're talking about in a different context. Yeah. Like it's the same thing. Isn't Monitorama also a fork? Yeah, but it's a little different. Yeah, that's what I just like, said. Here's the thing I think is important, and I think Andy Mann is an interesting story for today. Like mm. to have to see Michael Ducey get up there and personally apologize to him really felt meant for good. Because if you've been following Twitter, a lot of this discussion has been mm. going on about. There are a certain group of people that work with certain products, certain services, who are trying to explain that it has to be done differently in the enterprise. 
And so it's not everybody saying there's a fork. There's this argument about, you know, does the enterprise have to do it different? The joke is maybe they don't need to see, you know, it's not that blatant. But yeah, of course, like he's making big faces <laughs> and rejection. But but and, and so Andy got here and, and he was, you know, he heard a couple of those early presentations and he came over to me and he said, I'm not gonna do my lightning talk, you know, I, I think I'm pretty much gonna get hammered. And I said, dude. I said, you need to go engage with this group. You know, because that's what the other, and like if, if anybody's listening from one of the big guys who keep thinking, why do I go there and nothing ever happens? Mm. Is because, and he didn't even get it. I told him, I said, get in those conversations. Get to know everybody today. And I guarantee you tomorrow, when you get up on that stage, you're gonna have a good presentation. And if there's any lesson for those those vendors that are coming here and like the ones that are still sitting behind their booths, exactly, not going mm -hmm. in and not and I had to push him. I, and he didn't kind of get it. He was playing the CA booth. Not I'm not against CA. He was just playing. This is what you do when you're a vendor. You kind of stay at the booth. I'm like, you will fail miserably if you get up on that stage tomorrow and nobody has seen you in any of the open spaces. So, so it's kind of like, and he did it. And he won. He won big. Yeah. When Michael so so it's interesting yeah. right? because it, it, it's like you're kind of. I mean, what I'm hearing is that, like, if you want to be a part of our community and you want to play by the no asshole rule and the other kind of boundaries that we've set up, we will are well, we we'd love to have you. But that's the thing; it's not like other big tech conferences that are like huge and everybody just there's a vendor area and you have to go to see them. Yeah. Is that, is that well, I mean, the thing is, you can have the argument. Like, like he, I believe he's wrong. I think everybody at the table believes some some of their opinions are wrong. But you can have that argument if you come in and have that argument. Like, you know, right? And, and well, and it's, too, I think, uh, you know, we were joking about this, you know, man versus, or, uh, yeah, man versus Ducey, right? Open space, right? But the, and we were like, televised on BFC TV, right? Pay-per-view. But, yeah, exactly. But what was funny about that is that it's easy to have those arguments on Twitter. And then when you go and actually see the person, and, mm -hmm. and to your talk about empathy, where those those mirror neurons fire, you're like suddenly calling you an asshole, and all the stuff that I would have said on Twitter to your face is yeah. much harder now. Yeah. Well, right when uh, you're, I like, think like, like, like the topic of the argument is good. Let's have the argument. Yeah. Right. And um, part of it is that if if people are coming, from, like we've been sort of collectively together as a community for a while, we have like a language, and so if you're coming from the outside, like. There's words we say that have a shared meaning that you don't know because that's not what the right. dictionary says. And we're bad at formalizing language and, and we're from different cultures and different places in the world and it's much easier to do that in person. Mm -hmm. But once you've done it in person, you can have an argument on Twitter. Mm -hmm. right? Yeah, um, and we're resist, we're like this community is resistant to sort of laying out the facets of, of DevOps in a way that, that is very concrete. Was limiting that. Which is, yeah, exactly. I mean, you don't want to limit it. And you also don't want to be, like, deciding on something that's evolving. But that makes it difficult for people to actually grasp. So, right. yeah. Well, that's hard, right? They, uh, Kevin, uh, Kevin Barrow says DevOps is emergent. It's still emergent, right? Yeah. And, mm -hmm. and so it's funny, though, because when you're trying to sell a tool to a huge enterprise that actually needs to make a business case, you can't be like, well... You should do this emergent changing thing because they're like, well, yeah, I got exactly. products that I got to, you know, <laughs> yeah, You can yeah. push your crap into production <laughs> faster than ever before, right? Remember two years ago or something like that when Salesforce was a sponsor in Silicon Valley? Like I went and I put up a sign at our booth area and I said, if you would like to talk to us about, you know, what it's like to work at Salesforce, we're going to be in the conference engaging with everybody. Here's our Twitter handles. Come find us. Yeah. And... And people in my PR department were like, what, you did what at our vendor booth? And I said, I'm not going to stand there behind a desk. That's not the point of DevOps days. The point of DevOps days is to contribute and to learn. And that's the best way to do it. And the fact that you know we were able to sponsor was great. But like the real value that we're bringing is the engagement. Well, you know, the other weird thing to the thing about Twitter, it seems, and I don't know if this is because you, uh, Patrick, were always on Twitter and John, I mean, just that's kind of where you did a lot of communication and, and publicly also uh, Andrew little idea right a lot of those conversations out there but it's almost like there's this uh, shadow conference going on on Twitter and I and I mean that actually with a lot of remote people you know there's lots of like tweeting things going on what's being said so you, there's a couple of really interesting things first of all people that couldn't be here are like having they're, they're almost like inserting their kind of asynchronicity or asynchronous conversations into it but then the other thing is when somebody goes up and this happened a couple times when somebody goes up on stage and says something that is sort of out of those bounds 
that conversation happens on Twitter. And the amazing part is we had a, a, a couple of individuals that came up right after their talk. They apologized. They said they were wrong. And then on Twitter, everyone was like, thanks. Like, we, we hugged it out. We're and good. it was fine. Yeah. Right? So it wasn't this festering thing. that, blah, And then it turns into Gamergate later, where it's six months later. It was something that was said a yeah. long time ago. And I think that actually is one of the... It's a feedback mechanism. Yeah. yeah. I think yeah. we really need to reinforce that because it's too easy to fire stuff off on Twitter and then never resolve it. When you have... The ability and I think the obligation to work it out in person if you are here. There's no reason why you can't grab someone and say, you know, hey, I just wanted to say, you know, not cool yeah. or cool. Yeah. What's been interesting is that you mentioned now the whole debate about the enterprise and not. But there's been a few debates over the years. Like the first one was no ops. <laughs> Everything is closed. Like everyone, oh, the opinion is like, no, it's okay. It's a different variant. So we'll get it. DevOps is a scam, you remember that? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Boom, everybody was like, mm, uh, myopic, like, yeah. yeah. So well, that's one of the things that I found, like, I mean, it's not, it hasn't been surprising, but it has been surprising that it does keep on happening. Even as much as open the community is, when change is driven in, it's like, boom, everyone's like, well, it's shaking up. That. You wanted the controversial no, 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 conversation. I right? see it's that, great. but it's it great. always amazes me how people like try to push it away in a way. Oh, uh, I see. Uh, which I don't like. Yeah. One of my favorite was in Hamburg, right? Like, and you talk about shadow conferences, and I love that as, a, as an idea because <laughs> one of my favorite all time, not even NoOps, this beats the, the NoOps, is we were in this session and we were just talking about DevOps, and Hamburg was pretty early, right? And somebody said, should there be a DevOps manifesto? And then somebody that tweeted... Was in, that was in Ghent already, and in Ghent we said yeah. no. And but we had Amber, no, 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 but what I'm talking about Amber. is the shadow Twitter yeah, okay. happened, where somebody went ahead and said, they left out the should be, and there was no context, and it said Ooh. Dallas Manifesto. And uh, <laughs> was it... But then, no, then the whole community of people who were in the U.S. who weren't there just... I mean, there were battles and fights, <laughs> and, and you know, how dare they? And I, I mean, I had to go back and like start like DMing people, like, trust me, there was none. We were not... Were doing it? Yeah. They were already convinced we that's, were That's why I referred when I opened. It was the enterprise I never had. Like, you felt like, I have to like, like be a little bit more oh, here, a little bit more. I mean, there were people like with forks and like... How dare they do this? <laughs> okay, so um, what I wanted to ask is uh, five years in, I uh, actually want to ask each of you, uh, what do you think the next five years holds? Uh, I don't know, but I'm really excited to see it. Like, I think, you know, this idea of the vibrancy of the community and how things change, I think that's going to be the interesting stuff. We were kind of joking earlier this morning that we talk a lot about eventually all companies are going to be doing this. Like, this whole idea of spreading DevOps is. It's almost a silly notion. It's it's like this idea, like in the states of like gay marriage. Like you ask kids who are eighteen to twenty one whether gays should be allowed to be married or whatever, and yeah. they look at you and they laugh and they're like, "What are you talking about? What a stupid question!" <laughs> right? Whereas like the older people are like, oh, well, "It's not my day." Whatever. You know, all these things that we're doing in DevOps are things that enable the business to go faster. And if the business is, you know, if speed in business right now is the differentiator and the thing that allows you to succeed, then eventually you're either going to adopt these principles or you're going to die and someone else can replace you. So, you know, in the next five years, I just think it's just going to be adopted more and more and we're going to see better justifications and more people are going to come around and, and join in. And then we're going to look back in 10 years and be like, oh yeah, we used to call it DevOps, but now we just call it going to work. You know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. For me, it's uh it's going to be uh, being a privileged watcher on the side mm -hmm. in my retirement. Advisor and resident. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> resident and uh, for the rest, I, I, for me personally, uh, my focus is going to be on uh, bounding creative people and technology. And whether that's in multiple forms, but I still think we're still too tech cracked. And okay, we have a lot of silos there, but there's a lot of things beyond that starting to rely on us. And so if we can't get them to work together with us, as well, I think that's probably the next mile where we need to go. So. Yeah, I think you know, in the community, we talk a lot about removing constraints and and optimizing. And like today's point, DevOps is basically about removing the space, you know, literally between Dev and Ops. And we can now sort of look at that that constraint that's being removed, and what's the next 
what's the next bottleneck? And, you know, there's a lot left. There's a <laughs> lot left. So it's going to be really interesting to see that, you know, us refine that improvement, but then also scale it out. Yeah, I think I have to build on top of that. that we, we pretty much are still, even though we're five years down the road, we're still at its early days. We still only have captured like a really small fraction of the market. And that there's going to be a lot of people we're going to see that, yeah, maybe in five to ten years, this is what it's called going to work. But a lot of people will still need to teach a lot of people on how to work together, how the things we've learned over the past five to ten years that those things work and why they work. And if we see junior people coming in, they come in and say like, oh, so we're going to do this all new cool stuff and they forget about all the stuff we learned before and we still are going to need to teach those people um, to not make the mistakes we learned from. And that's going to be DevOps. Well, and a lot of those things, because they're such soft skills, I mean, you're always going to have new people either coming into the tech space or coming in like through the, the college pipeline and they need to learn like the, the no ass rule, just like, you know, I, I like to joke like, you know, thousands of dollars of therapy, you know, they, <laughs> you know, have to learn it in our own way. Uh, here. Um, I think, because one of the things is like, it's not like five years later and we were, we're all the same age as we were then and we're doing the same job in the same position. It's like, we're all five years older and in five years time, we'll all be five years older again. And some of us will have more senior jobs and different types of challenges. And, and so like, uh, lots of people here will be systems administrators and developers. But in five years time, some of those will be managers. Some of those will be like CTOs or CIOs or whatever. They're like the challenges for the group of people will have changed as well. Um, and I think that I look forward to that. And that's, that, that will like, we can test this bigger. I think that's, I think we'll just keep doing what we're doing, but even just the people who are already here will have different challenges and we'll bring that to the table. Yeah. I think uh, to Dave's point that, you know, that at some point it'll just be natural, but I think if we look at Agile and you know, Idle, there's these cycles, right? There's this kind of weird uh, Gartner hype cycle, right? And, and, and I think these things are different. The reason why I say they're weird or warped is there's this weird cultural aspect. Like it's, there's a lot of emotion about these things. You know, when Gardner talks about a technology, it's just the kind of technology. This is actually changing the way you do things, right? So I believe, like Idol and Angela, that we're gonna go through this down. I, I joked with somebody. With the spirit. Well, yeah, but where somebody, we might get into a cycle where people might say, you know, whether well, we have this kind of where people like are resistant, early adopters get it, yeah. then there's this resistance, mm -hmm. and then they kind of get it. So we tried it, it doesn't work. And now we're going to get into yeah. that cycle in the end where people are going to say, and I, I, I dread the day, but it's going to be part of the maturity model of what we do is when people right. start saying DevOps sucks on the back end, because it will happen, and mm -hmm. then we'll come and rise out of that. And, yeah, I was, I was going to say something about the enterprise and I, and I forgot, but basically I think that, you know, that's, that's probably a huge compliment to the movement that enterprise is actually interested in this stuff now, right? Because they're notoriously terrified of everything that's changed and the fact that they are coming into it now saying, yeah, we could probably, we could probably do this, you know, that's, that's a huge well, it's compliment. To, it's gotten to the point where the only thing scarier than change is actually not changing yeah. and, and therefore they're, yeah. they're getting pushed into that. Well, Heather, at the Target presentation that they said that yeah. they stopped using the word DevOps, the management, because yeah. of And the, I mean, it's amazing how much that word was absent from the DevOps Enterprise Conference. Everything was continuous delivery. The, everything was agile. Yeah. It's which matters and it's language they know. Well, and they also don't want to incur like massive Twitter, uh, <laughs> Twitter wrath. wrath. Yeah. Better <laughs> Patrick politely saying, I, I, the, I, yeah. in that polite way he always does. Blink in my eyes. <laughs> so um, I did want to mention, and I think, this, is, is, this, is the video going to go up? The, the, Thank you, sure. Patrick. Video. Is that going to be out? Uh, it's okay. up already. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, <laughs> Patrick just so so, sure so, sounds good to me. Let's broadcast that. Yeah, right. yeah, yeah. Well, so all I want to say is, is uh, a bunch of the organizers put together a video for Patrick. Uh, just yeah, that messages. We will, we will link to that definitely in the show notes. You should take a look. But um, the hashtag was thank you, Patrick. So I wanted to invite all of our listeners. If DevOps has changed your life, if you're part of the community, you and let Patrick know with the hashtag thank you, Patrick, on Twitter. And uh, thank you, Paul. You know, you've been doing it this for a while too, so it's your anniversary too. So. Uh, yeah, that's true. It is, but yeah. but yeah. So so yeah, let him know. It's one of those things that I think. And actually, too, I guess when we were talking about this, 
Uh, I love getting my DevOps weekly. In fact, if I'm up working late, I know that I'm mm. up too late when it comes into my inbox, right? <laughs> yeah, it's time um, to go to bed. <laughs> and, and you were talking to people in New York, if they don't get it oh, for their commute, you hear about it. They don't get it for coffee, but like. Right, so it's one of those things that, that there are, yeah, yeah, there are people that are doing this work quietly in the background, and sometimes I just think part of the five-year anniversary is we get to pause and really thank them for that and thank them for changing our lives in ways that we don't always reflect on day-to-day when we're just having a coffee Reading DevOps Weekly, so yeah, thanks. DevOps Cafe, just yeah, okay. Yeah, that was one of the. I, and actually, you know, you were talking about me, Welcome back to the Chip Show. So for our last segment tonight, we are doing a tooltip again. For those of you who are wanting tips about tools, we haven't done actually a tooltip segment in a while, so we'll, we'll bring that back. Uh, and tonight, actually, uh, we've got a tooltip from uh, Yusuf, actually, who, even though he's not here, we're vicariously living through his tooltip, I guess, or he's here in spirit. Anyway, <laughs> uh, I don't know. The two, I'm still jet-lagged from Belgium. The tooltip is getignore.io. That's uh, one word, getignore.io. And it looks a lot like Google, actually, when you pop it in there. But basically, it's a way to uh, auto-generate your gitignore files. So you can put in, like, I was actually playing with this the other day. You can put in uh, CMake, because uh, I, I was am doing a CMake project, as you might know, Pete. <laughs> and uh, you can click generate, and it'll just generate what you should get ignore for your projects. Uh, you can do Python. Yeah. I don't need you anymore. Sure. I know. Yeah. Just like, I should just make a website for all this exactly. stuff. Great. Uh, so you can uh, just, I started typing in, and, and you can add in multiple projects to this, you, and uh, it'll, it looks like it just caps them together into one you know, big thing. So Yeah. And the other nice thing is, like, so if you put in, for instance, Python, it has a lot of things that you probably wouldn't expect in the gitignore, which is great because, like, you know, whenever we're doing a language like Java or whatever, a lot of times we forget, like, all the different things that, that are in there, and it has comments for why it's in there. So, for instance, it's got pi installer goop in there. It's got installer log goop in there that you don't want. It's got a whole huge section on distribution and packaging that you don't generally want to check into your Git repo, so it's got all that stuff there. And I just noticed this. If you put in uh, the language, you, it has an API. So gitignore.io slash API slash Python is what gets returned if you type in Python. So I guess you can do this, uh, you can also query it via API, which is pretty awesome. 
We will link to it as well as the video tutorial in the show notes. You can see what other crazy uh, uses you can use for gitignore.io. Check it out. Conference-wise, we've got a bunch of conferences coming up. We've got Lisa next week. Yeah, all the cool kids are at uh, Lisa. Yeah, no, so I was just noticing this. So uh, Nicole Forsgren, uh, whom we've, uh, I think we've talked uh, about her before. She worked on the, the DevOps Day study with uh, Gene Kim, Jez Humble, uh, Nigel Kirsten from Puppet. Um, she was doing all the statistics and stuff there and, and making the, the survey data, like, uh, actually, like, consumable. But, uh, yeah, she will be there uh, presenting. And then, actually, she did, she tweeted, like, and I did not know this. You were saying, like, all the cool kids, like, uh, Gene Kim's there. Uh, Mandy's going to be there. Uh, Ren Betsy is going to be there. John Willis, watch Galoop, will be there. I will actually be there speaking. So, yeah, Lisa's bringing the, the, the DevOps boom this year. Uh, they actually have a DevOps track, and that's what I'm speaking on. But, uh, yeah, that's next week. And so a bunch of people will be there. ReInvent is also happening uh, next week. It's, I guess it's like ReInvent versus Lisa. <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, it's this time of year, there's always a few conferences that seem to kind of conflict with what ReInvent. Is, yeah, it's like the end of the year, right? So it's everybody's trying to... Yeah, got to... I try to get them in advance, but uh, but I will be at reInvent, and actually, a large segment of the the threat stack team. So if if, if anyone is going to reInvent, tweet me or stop by your booth or whatever, and let's talk about ops and security and etc. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And then uh, DevOps Days Helsinki, Tel Aviv, and Vancouver are uh, still on the books for 2014. So if you are in any of those areas, you should definitely uh, look into going to DevOps Days in one of those uh, locations. I was actually chatting with the people from Tel Aviv, and there was a chance I was going to go out there. They're doing it around uh, American Thanksgiving. Not on the American Thanksgiving, but around that. So if you're in that part of the world and you want to do that before you have turkey, if you have turkey, you should definitely uh, do that. So we'd like to uh, thank our sponsor for this episode, PagerDuty. And from, from San Francisco, recovering from jet lag, this is Paul Reed signing off. And from uh, Boston, Massachusetts, this is Pete Cheslock signing off. We're both contending with sleep difficulties right now. <laughs> Good old sleep deprivation. Yeah. Worst wonders. <laughs> All right. We'll see you all in a couple weeks.